This morning, we're going to continue our study on the spiritual disciplines in our quest to discover God's will together. Spiritual disciplines, as we noted last week, are a sacred path designed to bring us into a deeper relationship with God and into a deeper understanding of what his will is for our life. So last week, we talked about the necessity of setting some time aside in our day just to be with God and to respond to his presence with awe and with silence. This morning, we're going to be talking about engaging the scripture, not just to gain more information and knowledge, but to allow the spirit to use that scripture to nurture our soul and to transform our life. So the psalmist in this 19th Psalm talks about that, and we're going to pick it up at the seventh verse, where he writes, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Someone once asked G.K. Chesterton, who was an English author and a Christian apologist in the early 20th century, if he were marooned on an island and he was only allowed to have one book, what would that book be? It's a great question. A question maybe we ought to ask ourselves. What book would you choose? But given his reputation as a man of God and as one of the most insightful Christian writers of his time, everyone just simply assumed that he would choose the Bible. But he didn't. He chose Thomas's Guide to Practical Shipbuilding. Now, it makes sense if you think about it. When you're stranded, the goal is to get home. If you're lost, the idea is to get found. Being entertained, being well-informed, or propositionally correct is far less important on those circumstances than being saved. Eugene Peterson notes that we are on an I-land where we know neither ourselves nor God, and we are desperately looking for a message, desperately looking for a word, desperately looking for something that will help us make our way home. God has provided us with that word. His word, his inspired, infallible word. Followers of Jesus have historically sought to be people devoted to that word. Followers of Jesus have long sought to be people of the text. John Wesley said that the pivotal moment in his entire life was when he came to pray 
that he would become a homo unius libri, that is, the man of one book. Scholars far wiser than I have said that the secret to life is pursuing one thing. Some of you may remember the classic movie, City Slickers. It stars Billy Crystal, and he's going through this midlife crisis, and he has this overwhelming sense that life is simply passing him by. And so he decides to join a cattle drive in order to have some adventure in his life. Jack Palance, the old wise to the ways of the world trail guide, asks Crystal one night if he would like to know the secret to life. And Crystal says, I would, absolutely. It's this, Palin says as he raises one finger, to which Crystal responds, the secret of life is your finger? No, Palin replies, the secret to life is pursuing just one thing. Soren Kierkegaard wrote a book entitled Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. It's a study of James, the first chapter, verses 5 through 8, where James invites his reader to seek wisdom, to believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed about by the wind. As disciples of Jesus, we have committed to pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe surprisingly, Jesus isn't looking for the best informed disciples. I mean, after all, look who he picked for his first 12 disciples. But he's looking for disciples who are willing to follow. Disciples who are willing to be transformed. Disciples who are willing to become more and more like him. Willing, as Paul says in Romans 12 verse 2, to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. Or as he says in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 18, to be transformed into his image. So the Greek word for mind that Paul uses in Romans chapter 12 in that second verse is much different in meaning for them than it is for us in our Western world. When we think of mind, we think of our brain we think of that cognitive area in our head where information and facts are all stored, where our thinking and decision-making is done, and where the pulses that control our unconscious movements like heartbeats and, and eyes blinking and our breathing are located. But when the Eastern mind, those listeners of Jesus and of the Apostle Paul hear the word mind, they think about where a person's awareness, where his or her perceiving and understanding and comprehension and valuing and feelings and priorities are all centered, which impact and affect the way they live, the way they believe, the way they behave. John Calvin says that the transforming of our mind means that we will think and speak and meditate and do all things for the glory of God. For followers of Jesus, the transformation of our mind and our emotions and our character and our behavior comes from one source, from God's word, from scripture, from the text. John Ortberg writes, 
The words that bombard us all day long from billboards and tabloids and talk shows pull us in a thousand different directions, but only the word of God speaks to us from his word. Only that word can renew our minds. Becoming more and more like Jesus requires our consciously and conscientiously engaging Scripture as an ongoing, lifelong process. The Scripture plays a role of utmost importance in our relationship with God. May we all long to be people of the book, one book. Most of the time, we engage Scripture. We read it, and we study it like a textbook. We analyze it, we outline it, we listen to speeches on it. We participate in discussions about it, we join studies on it, we use it to defend our doctrine and to support our opinions and perspectives. Over the years, we have likely tried a a myriad of approaches to engage the text. Bethel Bible, walk through the Bible, read through the Bible in a year, Bible study fellowship, small group Bible studies, cis groups, Beth Moore, DVD studied guides. The end is almost endless. Multiple methods of studying scripture have also been developed. There's the inductive and the deductive and the meditative and the harmony dissonance and the if you were there and and even the imaginative like Adventures in Odyssey's Imagination Station, just to mention a few. So we memorize and analyze and discuss and even debate it. We often define a good sermon as one that has offered a fresh perspective, a new insight, or some additional information that we can file away in our mind. And so, we tend to read the scripture primarily for information. Our studying has a cognitive focus. We learn the stories and we learn the facts so we can sufficiently retell the story. And if someday you and I are required to play biblical jeopardy or spiritual trivial pursuit or pass a Bible knowledge test in order to punch our ticket to heaven, we'll be good. Except we'll never be asked that. Which is probably a good thing. Because the sad part is that with all our focus on the scripture for information, Most church members still can't name all 10 commandments or all 12 disciples or recite the Beatitudes or list the fruit of the Spirit. According to recent surveys, over one-third of those who identify as Christian can't even name the four Gospels. The real challenge you see before us is not getting us into the Word The real challenge is getting the word into us. Paul invites us, as he says in Colossians 3, to let the word of God dwell richly in us. Meanwhile, very few church members are being transformed. I've never known anyone who is living a transformed, Christ-centered life who is also not deeply engaged in the Scripture You see, the Bible is God's infallible, inspired word given to us to lead us to Jesus, who in the shadow of the cross and the resurrection longs to nurture our soul and to teach us how to live for him and enjoy. 
God says, if you and I spend time with Jesus in his word, his spirit will transform us. He promises. We need to care for our soul. It's even more important to us than stimulating our mind. And if we neglect to nurture our soul, our soul will eventually wither and it will die. You see, in engaging scripture, the primary question isn't, what new bit of information can I gain from this? Or what additional insight can I learn that I can then pass along? John Ortberg reminds us that to be filled with knowledge about the Bible, but to be unwashed by it is worse than not knowing it at all. The religious leaders of Jesus' day thought that their knowledge of Scripture was their proof of their wonderful relationship with the Father. But it wasn't what they knew. Jesus reminded them that even Satan knows the Scripture, knows it probably better than they did and probably better than most of us do as well. Jesus himself said to them, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. <laughs> But it is they that testify on my behalf. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You see, in engaging the scripture, the primary question we ought to be asking is, what is God saying to me? Not to the person sitting next to me, not to the person in front of me or a few rows behind me, not to somebody who I think really ought to hear this word, but what is he saying to me? How does this word I'm reading speak to my relationship with Jesus Christ? How does this word speak to how I ought to live my life for Jesus? As big as the methodology issue is, that is how we study the scriptures, the primary issue or the problem we have is less about our methodology and far more about our motivation. Finding time to be in the scriptures in our busy schedules seems to be a major challenge and issue. Making it a priority in our life is a major undertaking. Most people consider themselves too busy to appropriately focus on God's word in order to nurture their own souls. I've had the privilege of being involved in a ministry that some of you may have heard about called Deeper Journey. It invites pastors and church leaders and others who would like to step away and retreat for 42 hours, four times a year, just to nurture their souls by simply blocking out some time in their busy schedules to spend time with God. Over the years, as I've invited pastors and church staff members and, and people that I know to, to join Deeper Journey, the number one excuse or reason they give for not participating is simply... I don't have the time. I'm too busy. Church boards rarely encourage their pastors and their church staffs and even fellow members to spend time nurturing their souls. The reason, I think, is perhaps because so few church leaders are actually spending time in God's word. And as a result, few church leaders are actually leading out of their soul and as a result, the church in North America is in deep trouble. It's no coincidence. 
We know that we can't be Mary and Martha at the same time. We can't be in the kitchen dinner prep and be sitting at the feet of Jesus simultaneously. And yet we intuitively know that dinner has to be done. So we do dinner first and then we say, if we have any time left, we'll give that to Jesus. And the reality is, or maybe conveniently so, we seldom have any time left for Jesus. From our Western perspective, we would say that transformation is fundamentally a heart issue. Paul, you remember, said it's primarily a mind issue. He's talking from the Eastern perspective. From the Western perspective, we would say it's a heart issue, but either way, it's a priority issue. It's the main thing. Do I really want a relationship with my creator and my redeemer? Do I really want to be more like Jesus? Am I willing to conform my will in obedience to his will? Am I really willing to have my, my mind renewed, my heart changed, and my life, my behavior altered? Do I really want to hear what God has to say to me today? Am I willing to rearrange my life based on what God is, is saying to me and what God longs for my life to be? The reality is that few people are willing to adjust anything in their life to engage the scriptures. And as a result, today, few people experience spiritual transformation, even those who are in spiritual leadership positions. We need to make time to meet God in his word. We need to schedule time to engage the text. We need to put it on our calendar. We need to put it in our day timer. John Wesley writes, there should be a daily time set apart for the disciplined reading scripture at the optimum part of our day. When we are at our best, set apart physically in surroundings that are conducive to the opening of our lives to God and to set internally from the pressures and the tensions of our lives. Notice Wesley's emphasis on reading. By that he meant reading out loud rather than on studying Wesley understood that studying provides for us more information, but it is the reading that provides transformation. Henry Nouwen, a Dutch Catholic theologian and a professor for some period of his life at Yale, writes, we simply need quiet time in the presence of God. Although we want to make all of our time time for God, we will never succeed if we do not reserve a minute or an hour or a morning or a day or a week or a month or whatever period of time for God and for God alone. This asks for much discipline and risk-taking because we always seem to have something more urgent to do and just sitting there and doing nothing often disturbs us more than it helps. But there's no way around this. Being useless and silent in the presence of God belongs to the very core of all prayer. In the beginning, we often hear our own unruly noises more loudly than God's voice. 
This is at times hard to tolerate, but slowly, very slowly, we discover that the silent time makes us quiet and deepens our awareness of ourselves and God. Then very soon we start missing these moments when we are deprived of them. And before we are fully aware of it, an intermomentum has developed that draws us more and more into silence and closer to that still point where God speaks to us. So as we embrace the spiritual discipline of engaging the scriptures for spiritual transformation, consider with me these four invitations. First, we are invited to approach the scripture with a prayerful, humble, obedient spirit, recognizing it is God's word. Ask God to meet you there in the text. And as you read, anticipate that he will be there. Augustine, in his confessions, tells of hearing a voice in his quiet time over and over saying to him, take it and read. Take it and read. Take it and read. So he started reading Romans, and he would go on to write, I had no wish to read further. There was no need to. It was as though my heart was filled with a light of confidence, and all the shadows of my doubt were simply swept away. Ask God to meet you in his word, to remind you of his love, to convict you of your sin, to show you his will, to touch your soul. This is a prayer that God always answers affirmatively. Read with a readiness to surrender everything. Read willing to do whatever you hear God inviting you to do. Read to nurture your heart and your soul. Second, select a brief passage. Read it slowly. Read it out loud. Read it repeatedly. Read it early in your day. You see, reading large passages of Scripture, reading them once, reading them quietly, leads to more information. But reading a small passage of Scripture, reading it out loud, reading it repeatedly over and over leads to being transformed. Please understand, there is nothing wrong with being well-versed in the Scriptures. In fact, it is a really good thing. It's just not enough. Madame Guyon, a French mystic, writes, if you read it quickly, it will benefit you little. You will be like a little bee who merely skims across the surface of a flower. Instead, in this, in this new way of reading with prayer, you must become as the bee who penetrates the depths of the flower. You plunge deeply within to remove its deepest nectar. Henry Nouwen adds, a contemplative reading of the Holy Scriptures and silent time in the presence of God belong closely together. You see, the word of God draws us into silence and silence makes us attentive to his word. The word of God penetrates through the thickness of human verbosity to a silent center of our heart. Silence opens in us that space where the word can be heard. Without reading the word, silence becomes stale. And without silence, the word loses its recreative power. The word leads to silence, and silence leads to the word. The word is born in silence. 
And silence is the deepest expression and response to the word. It's not how much of the word we read. It's how much of the word gets into us. How much of it stays with us. How much of it nurtures our soul. And again, just let me say for the record, it is good to read the entire scriptures through, to know it, to study it. But it's also important to internalize it, to put it in our heart and in our soul and in our life. Memorizing can be very helpful. But the goal ultimately is to have the scripture, to have God's word speak to us and have his spirit use that word to change and transform us. So third, we should learn to read scripture as one reads a love letter. Marjorie Thompson in her wonderful little book called Soul Feast notes in reading a love letter, in a letter that is, is written from a lover to the one who he or she loves. When we read it, we cherish every single word. We savor every phrase. Scripture is God's love letter to us. To those of us, he has loved. Loved enough to send his one and only son into this world for us. So I'm going to invite you to join me this morning for just a very short exercise of what I'm talking about. I'm going to invite you simply to take a moment to close your eyes. Simply take a moment to let your body relax. Simply take a moment to listen quietly to the rhythm of your own breathing. Ask the Father to meet you in his word. Ask the Father to allow you to hear in your heart and your soul what he longs for you to hear from him this morning. As I read, and I will be rereading our text for this morning, listen for a word or a phrase, just one word, just a couple of words, just a phrase that touches you. Listen for what God's Spirit might be taking a yellow highlighter to and just highlighting for you in this passage I read. Listen. The revelation of God is whole, pulling our lives together. The signposts of God are clear, pointing out the right road. The life maps of God are right, showing the way to joy. The directions of God are plain and easy on the eyes. God's reputation is 24 karat gold with a lifetime guarantee. The decisions of God are accurate down to the nth degree. God's word is better than a diamond, better than a diamond set between emeralds. You'll like it better than strawberries in spring, better than red, ripe strawberries. And there's more. God's word warns us of danger and directs us to hidden treasure. Think about a word or a phrase that God might be trying to highlight for you in this moment.
The revelation of God is whole, pulling our lives together. The signposts of God are clear, pointing out the right road. The life maps of God are right, showing the way to joy. The directions of God are plain and easy on the eyes. God's reputation is 24 karat gold with a lifetime guarantee. The decisions of God are accurate down to the nth degree. God's word is better than a diamond, better than a diamond set between emeralds. You'll like it better than strawberries in spring, better than ripe red strawberries. And there's more. God's word warns us of danger and directs us to hidden treasure. So reflect on that word or on that phrase that the Spirit has highlighted for you this morning. Think about what God might be saying to you through that word or th through that phrase. What might he be telling you about himself? Or what might he be showing us about ourselves? Think about that. Revelation of God is whole, pulling our lives together. The signposts of God are clear, pointing out the right road. The life maps of God are right, showing the way to joy. The directions of God are plain and easy on the eyes. God's reputation is 24 karat gold with a lifetime guarantee. The decisions of God are accurate down to the nth degree. God's word is better than a diamond, better than a diamond set between emeralds. You'll like it better than strawberries in spring, better than red, ripe strawberries. And there's more. God's word warns us of danger and directs us to hidden treasure. So think for a moment about your response to that word or to that phrase. What thoughts do you feel welling up in your soul? What feelings cross your mind? Spend a moment and pray them back to God.
The revelation of God is whole, pulling our lives together. The signposts of God are clear, pointing out the right road. The life maps of God are right, showing the way to joy. The directions of God are plain and easy on the eyes. God's reputation is 24 karat gold with a lifetime guarantee. The decisions of God are accurate down to the nth degree. God's word is better than a diamond, better than a diamond set between emeralds. You'll like it better than strawberries in spring, better than red, ripe strawberries. And there's more. God's word warns us of danger and directs us to hidden treasure. So what will you take into your day, into this day, from his word to you this morning? Is God encouraging you? Is God reminding you about his love? Is God asking you to do something? To change something? To think about something a little bit differently? That is, how will you relate what you have heard from God into your life today? And then spend a moment just resting quietly in his presence. Thank you for pausing with me. At dinner today, I'd like to invite you to take a moment to share that word or that phrase that God and his spirit may have highlighted for you with those who are there together with you around the table and what it meant to you and how God might be using it in your day. But this spiritual practice which we condensed in the silent areas is a practice that is known as Lectio Divina, or what is known as sacred reading. It's a practice of engaging the scripture that dates back at least until the fifth century. And in the fifth century, every one of those four parts came with a wonderful little Latin word. So Lectio, Meditatio, Oratio, and Contemplatio. But it is simply a practice of opening our soul and our heart to God and listening to what he has to say to you, to me, to us, through his word, by his spirit. Taking this word, this phrase, or this verse of scripture, and now thinking about it periodically, regularly, throughout the rest of this day, is a practice called meditation. And there is no Evelyn Wood speed course for speed meditation. 
One cannot meditate at 700 words per minute. It's the slow work of God. It takes practice. But meditation is built on a simple principle. What the mind repeats, the mind retains. So think about this word because it's God's word to you for this day. One he laid on your heart. One he invites you to think about. And then fourth and finally, integrate what you have heard from the scripture into your life. Remember once again that the goal is not to get into the word. The goal is to get the word into us. Because if there's no change, then there's no transformation. The change may be in our thinking. The change may be in our attitude. The change may be in our character. The change may be in the way we talk. The change may be in our priorities. It might be in our relationship. Only God and his spirit know where the change might be. But if we have been with God, we cannot step away unchanged. Ultimately, we are not transformed by our thoughts or by information or by ideas. We are transformed by Christ's words of love. See, love is the essence of our relationship. And so in our love, we listen to him. We follow in his footsteps. We express our gratitude. Having given him all of our life, we acknowledge that he loves us and has given his life for us. He tells us about that love in his love letter to us, in his scripture, in his word. And he invites us to read that love letter over and over and over again so it can sink in and we can ponder and reflect on every word with our mind, our heart, and our soul. Because you see, the truth is, the more time we spend with Jesus reading his word and listening to his spirit speak through that word, the more his love and his presence will transform us. Let's pray together. Father, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light upon our path. Father, may your spirit use your words to transform our hearts, our lives, and to nourish our soul. Father, that is our longing. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.